one of the questions was, did any soundtracks inspire you while coming up with this score? And his answer was, yeah, like I said before, I'm a huge soundtrack junkie. And that was it. Like, that was the end. He didn't go into, like, any of the specifics. Hey there, I'm Jordan. And I'm Nick. We're just two regular guys who love talking about film. And now we'd like to talk to you. We decided to break down our discussions into three parts. Because everyone loves a gimmick. We discuss our expectations for a film before we watch it. That's take one. We give our immediate thoughts following the film. That's take two. And finally, we research the film at length to prepare for an informed and in-depth discussion. And that's take three. So if you love film even half as much as we do, join in on the conversation. This is Take Three, a movie podcast. Take one. I watched Borat for the first time last night. I had this man all wrong. Completely wrong. What did you think Borat was? So I grew up in a very straight testosterone family. <laughs> testosterone. <laughs> you know, very straight brothers, very straight father. They loved things like jackass. They watched um, football. Uh, am I pronouncing that right? Football? Football. It's that game that they like, they dress up in the the different colors and then they, they juggle balls. They wear these really cute people. costumes. Yeah. 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 And they tackle people and they tackle each other on the, mm-hmm. yeah. on the open, that one. And so they bore out with something that they watched. And I was like, this is so not my thing. It's like, I really don't get it. And everyone is really praising this new Borat movie that's out. And I wanted to watch the first one before I watched the second one. And I'm like, this man is doing the Lord's work. I didn't I didn't realize that that was the point of the movie was to like expose how terrible America is. Yeah. Like it's genius. Mm-hmm. It's genius and I hope that he takes it up to like the nth level in the second movie. I hope he just goes all out. I'm glad that you feel that way. And as yes. far as the second one, I've seen both of them. I love both of them. Second one in my opinion, I love even more than the first one. <laughs> I think what he does is not necessarily dials it up to an 11. But he has more – not that it's more relevant than than the one from, I guess, 2006 was. Not that it's more relevant than that one was at the time. But because this one is happening now and you're going to watch it now and the election and all of this stuff is happening now, it will, I think, maybe mean a little bit more to you. Good. If that makes sense. Good. And he touches on specific things that I think – we know about and are concerned about and think about often. Um, but as far as the second one, he's great. Sasha Baron Cohen is great. And I know that he's like, I know that he has like a lot of influence on these films, mm-hmm. but the women in this film, pretty much every female that you'll see, at least the, the ones that one. stick around in the mm-hmm. second one. Yeah. Are incredible. They are the ones that walk away with the movie. It's what I keep hearing, and I'm so eager to watch the second one. But yeah, I think for the longest time, it felt very much like like a jackass movie, where it's just this guy who's going around and just stirring up trouble and yeah, and being like a terrible misogynistic person for comedy. And I just wasn't about that. But I also think if I had watched it when it c- came out, it wouldn't have had as big an impact as it did watching it now. But yeah, I'm very 
eager to watch the second one. Maybe I'll do that tonight. We'll see. And I, I realized that we're, you know, we're talking about the election. We're recording this before the election. Um, I think that's important to note because who fucking knows what's going to happen by the time this airs. We could have to do take three from like a bunker. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> Wonderful segue to something completely unrelated. <laughs> we're going to do Thoroughbreds, which is a movie you might not have heard of. But God damn it, I implore you to watch it with us. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, or at least watch it and then, you know, like, you know how to do it. If you don't know what you're doing right now, like, come on. <laughs> this movie's fucking incredible. Like, I remember going and seeing it and not really knowing what to expect. I think that's probably the best way to do it, to be honest with you. I'd almost like say, just trust us on this one. Maybe don't watch a trailer. Yeah. I saw it with two of our friends and then I saw it with you, mm-hmm. like, almost immediately after. And I haven't seen it since. Yeah, I've seen it a few times since. And I'm glad that I have because it was like to show different people, I think. Yeah. This is an interesting movie because while it's not in like my top five, I think there are movies in my top five that I would not necessarily recommend to people because I just I'm not sure that it's maybe they're very well received or maybe they're just a little too weird and it would turn some people off. Wait, which ones? I, I think I'm specifically thinking Annihilation. I don't think oh. that like that one is like a hundred percent well received. It is very open ended, very strange. Um, do I want everyone to see it? Yes, absolutely. But I can absolutely understand that it might not be for everyone. This movie, however, very, very, very good. Especially if you like darker humor. I remember seeing it for the first time and just like falling in love with it. And I will watch it at any time. And I I will really follow. Anya Taylor-Joy anywhere. Three things. Yes, I agree with the Anya Taylor-Joy thing. Incredible. One of her best roles. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's not actually like the standout here. Olivia Cook is. Yep, agreed. I think I've just seen more things with Anya Taylor-Joy than I have with Olivia Cook. But Gotcha. They're yeah, both phenomenal. Yeah. They're both great. Uh, Annihilation is almost universally loved. It has an 88% on Rotten Tomatoes. Does it really? Uh-huh. I should have known that. We did an episode on it. You should listen to that too. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's good. It's also his favorite movie. <laughs> it's my it's my top it's my number one, yeah. And as far as like annihilation being too weird to recommend to people, yeah, some of you might think this is a little strange and a little maybe a little violent, but it's still <laughs> Like if, okay, it's like a dark comedy is what how I'll describe it. Like, don't look up anything about this movie. Just watch it with us. Really, like, okay, that's like my earnest plea. <laughs> Please, just trust us on this one. Trigger warning. This is kind of a spoiler, but if this is something that's very very fresh for you, trigger warning for some animal abuse. There's nothing that's very graphic, but there is there are things that are very heavily implied. If that's something oh, that's yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. If that's something that you are uncomfortable with, proceed with caution. Yeah, I mean otherwise. <laughs> it's a great flick. <laughs> yeah, so I think this is actually one of the few times where I'm really excited to watch the movie. <laughs> is that sarcasm? It's a joke, because all we ever fucking say is we're really excited. <laughs> I'm so excited. Let's, yeah. Let's watch this movie. I'm ready. <laughs> yeah, sometimes we render take one kind of useless by having seen the movie and loving it and just wanting to like hurry up and get to the actual movie. Um, <laughs> but we're not changing the goddamn name of the podcast. So Day two. All right, last chance. If you have not seen this movie, this is the la- we're gonna spoil it. And uh, it's really good. 
It's it's really good. It's really, really good. We just watched it. We have very recent proof that it is really good. You're going to miss it if we spoil it now and you don't watch it. So really, go watch this movie. We're talking to you, Jaden. Oh my god, those words were about to come out of my fucking <laughs> mouth. Oh my god, Jaden. He is one of our most devoted listeners, but he's told us several times, oh, I, I didn't watch the movie. I just, I've never seen the movie. I just listened to you guys talk about it, which we absolutely love that you are that dedicated and you like hearing us speak, apparently. But you need to watch this movie. You really need to watch this movie. It's so good. So, so stop here. If you haven't stopped already, stop here and go watch it. Yeah, we already have your listen. It's already counted, so... <laughs> We got you. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But yeah, that is true. Okay, so great movie. Forgot how it ended. And I think that the way it ends is so like twisted and <laughs> demented that I I don't know. Like it made me kind of feel – I felt bad at the oh end. Oh, my God. But, but so still so Doesn't great. it just give you oh, – see, I left that feeling like like relieved maybe – or maybe even just like, like, oh, that was so kind and sweet of her to do. She just downed the drink like she did that for her friend. And I was like, that was such a nice thing to do. That part was really sweet. Yeah. <laughs> and like even the note was really sweet. I guess I'm talking about like the very last thing Annie Taylor-Joy says, which is just like, oh, I just threw it away. Yes. Like, so that was just like, oh, you really are more fucked up than even she that's, is. So you know? that's what I'm realizing about this movie is that there's – there's a lot of moral, ethical, even like philosophical things that we could debate in this movie. I think it's very interesting how there's really like two contrasting motives here. Like, I think the, the, the proper term is sociopath, right? It's someone who doesn't really like have empathy or sympathy. Is that the right term to describe her? Sociopath is probably what I would have thought, but clearly I'm, you know, I'm not a doctor. Yeah. And I think... I, I, not anymore anyway <laughs> you got your license taken away <laughs> yeah. yeah so throughout this whole movie amanda is the one who has always been like if we're gonna do this we have to do it because it's the right thing to do we have to do it because without mark the world will be a better place like it, it is yeah that's where her head is at but i think for lily it's so much more selfish than that and i think at the very totally. beginning of this movie we're kind of looking at amanda and we're like wow you're really unempathetic and you're just kind of like it, it's sort of jarring she doesn't really come off as very kind or as as warm maybe and it's the tables turn exactly yeah saying. yeah you really kind of things flip wind up yeah you wind up thinking that oh wow it's it's actually lily that's sort of the crazy just one a little here. bit off a rocker yeah yeah and even with the horse like she did that because it would be better for the horse to not be suffering like yeah the way she did it was a little bit much, but like at the end of the day, she was like, I need to do this for the horse's sake. And yeah. it's, you know, she's doing the right thing because it's the right thing. There's literally no emotion or motivation involved whatsoever, which is really interesting. That's so, so cool. Like what, a, who came up with this? This is genius. I want to know more about this director and, and the writer and everything. This was such a great movie. So the, they're the same person. His name's Corey Finley and he has literally not directed <laughs> Anything else um, except he well, – OK. So he directed a uh, an HBO – I guess like a made-for-TV movie called Bad Education. But he didn't write it. 
so I'm interested in that, but like I, he definitely does have a distinct directing style, mm-hmm. but I was really sort of more hyped up to see things that he had written. And yeah. Um, yeah. so he hasn't written and directed anything but this. However, I think maybe just the more people that hear about this movie, not like we're going to move the needle, but, um, <laughs> you know, the more people that hear about this movie, the more popular it gets, the more it becomes a cult classic, which I think it totally has the ability to do. Yeah. Get him more work. He needs to be able to do this kind of thing again because this was a fucking brilliant story. Brilliant, brilliant movie. Yeah. One note that I put here is that it kind of reminded me of a movie that was, it's sort of like if... Quentin Tarantino directed a movie that was based off of a Chuck Palahniuk book. Just some of the like, and and, okay, so I don't, I think it's much tamer than a Tarantino movie. I think it's missing maybe like four or five truckloads of blood and like a lot more (laughs) action. But, um, and I don't say that because it's like split up into chapters, even though it is, and I, that's, you know, very reminiscent of him, but it's sort of just like the dialogue and the, the monologues, these, these like long drawn out, very thorough conversations, just some of the dialogue that was in this movie, just, it feels like it came straight out of, um, uh, Chuck Palahniuk book, like, um, the oh, one that yeah. you brought up about. Oh, okay. Yeah. This is like my favorite line in the entire movie. It's, she says, you cannot hesitate. The only thing worse than being incompetent or being unkind or being evil is being indecisive. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, I like that tattooed on me. That's beautiful. <laughs> That's beautiful. And I feel like I'm most of those things, but like. <laughs> I also still. liked, was his name was Tim, right? Oh, Anton Yelchin. You know, it's sad. That's the only person whose name I don't remember. I don't, probably, it's probably Tim. I think it's Tim. I just, I, I like to figure his- that out. I liked his line when he said the sawdust smells amazing, but you can't get out of the hamster cage. It was like, yeah, it does not feel there's something that I have. I struggle with Chuck Palahniuk about. It doesn't feel like overly like show offy. It just feels earnest to me. Like, cause if we were to tell you, Oh, this movie has this just amazing dialogue and all these wonderful monologues and stuff like that. Like I, I can imagine that some people might feel like, okay, well, that's not why I go see a movie. Well, a lot of this <laughs> shit really does actually make you think. It does. And this movie is pretty much a set of long conversations. Not much happens on screen uh, other than conversations. But the conversations that happen are really freaking interesting. Mm-hmm. And um, their suspense from the very first shot, there is like this crazy suspense that's like looming over the whole film. And when when – you know, what happens finally happens. It's like, oh my God, <laughs> she really did it. And you just really don't expect that from Lily, mm-hmm. you know? I wrote down a couple of things. One is the music, which, okay, during the movie, I looked up to see if this guy had scored, a, you know, anything else. And now I, his name was hard to remember. I, can't, I didn't write it down. I'm sorry. I will bring that up in take three. But he hasn't really like scored anything else, not anything notable. And I was like, come on, dude, because it's incredible. It's it's like this like mix of doors creaking open <laughs> and then like bongo drums. Like that's yeah. it's just that the whole movie. There's even like so there's a lot of cello in it, which I love. There well, I think he is a cellist. I think that that's his like main job is he's a cellist. Right, so yeah, and and there's also um it almost sounds like they put a foley mic next to a frying pan of like oil of something frying in oil. There's like those pops, like those little pops that are in. It's so cool and so well done. And you know, I'd seen this movie years ago, I guess whenever it came out 
and the like that it's it's in the trailer it's that like breathing the like um the hum 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 thing like you know yeah. exactly what i'm talking about that's come up and this, this is so strange but i've seen i've come across this tiktok account of this woman who is with her mom who is learning these cultural like chants and it sounds just like that music so i think a take 3 thing is some like something that i'm going to look into is the choices for this music, like what it was inspired from, because it very clearly was taken from a real thing. Oh, definitely. That song um, is called S-I-L-A, Sila, Sila, I don't know. It's by this group or this musical act. I don't know who they are, a tribe called Red. I've definitely listened to that song, like driving down the road <laughs> at nighttime before and just been jamming. <laughs> it's so I mean, allure. Yeah. It's so like this whole movie is just it's. There's just something off about it, but you can't look away. Like, it, 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 I don't know how they did it, but oh, it's also like it gets me pumped. Like, yeah. I don't know why I have this like weird energy. <laughs> I, we're weird. This is weird, but I don't know. We wanted to do this and we've completely gone off the deep end when it comes to picking our movies. But <laughs> I think this movie is still really fun and I'm excited about talking about it in take three. Yeah. I do want to point out, I thought this was really funny. <laughs> I didn't want to tell a little story about us watching this movie. So we're not in the same room. We're currently on Facebook Messenger talking to each other. But the way we've been watching movies together is like we'll just set it up on our TVs and we'll have our phones, you know, to be able to look and talk to each other while we're watching the movie. But like so our TVs can be loud. We mute each other or we mute ourselves. Just to like prevent any echo or background stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like laying in bed and I have my phone like muted in my hand. But Jordan's got his, I don't know, I guess it's not your phone. Maybe it's your laptop or something. Mm -hmm. But it's sort of set up on your coffee table and you're on your couch, right? Yeah. (laughs) And I I don't know where you're going with this. I'm very curious. I know. Okay. (laughs) You probably won't even think it's that funny, but I really thought it was funny. So like it takes a second for me to say something and then for Jordan to like get up and react, you know. And uh, there was one point where – I don't know if I don't remember exactly even when it was, but um, it could have been many times because I feel like there were heavy lesbian vibes throughout this film. <laughs> but there was, I, I was like, are you getting any sort of I don't know, like any sort of lesbian vibes? And it took him like a couple of seconds to like get up and 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 hit the button. He was like, I don't know. And then he just paused it again. And then <laughs> I just I don't know why I thought that was really funny. I was like, okay, good talk. I think no. So I think what happened there was that I was trying to digest your question and see if I agreed with it while simultaneously trying to pay attention to the movie. And I just I don't think I had an explanation. But I did write down a note about that, actually, that maybe this is kind of like a love story. Um, There's this like very, very passionate hug when so it was when they when she first went in for a hug and Lily yeah. thought it was an attack they actually had a genuine hug and Lily you can see kind of like snuggles into her shoulder for a bit and then the mm-hmm. scene exactly and this was after she talked about how she kind of smelled weird the scene directly after this is her stepping out of the shower and practicing her smile like maybe there's some flirting going on maybe she's trying to learn how to be connected with someone I don't know totally totally I mean and then this huge act of sacrifice at the end. Exactly. Yeah. You know, even though it's really fucked up, I guess that's a very 
Good point. Yeah, I mean, it probably is a love story. Yeah, and at the very, very end, she's seen like we're finally seeing that um, the photograph of her and Lily on the horses. We realized that oh, like yeah. that picture was cropped in the beginning, and she has that like tiny little smile, and it's like, oh, is this? Ju-? It's like that the Inception moment where it's like, oh, is is this really a dream? Like, is she really smiling? Is she really having feelings? I don't know. Totally. And for the record, I do not believe she just threw the that note away. I'm sure she read it. I just think she told I guess we're gonna call him Tim. I feel like she <laughs> she had to have read it. There's no, like I can't yeah. think I'm not gonna be able to sleep unless she read the note. Mm-hmm. I also I, I wrote this down as well. The tension at the very end where we like they both know that they both know, like when when yeah. Lily and Tim are together and she he's like, I'm sorry for your loss, and she's like, Yeah, we're managing. Like obviously he knows that there was some foul play here, and it's something mm-hmm. more than just, you know, Amanda had plans to do this. So Oh, God, I just love this movie so much. I, throughout the film, was very much considering bumping something out of my top five to put this movie in. I was just like, oh, I could watch this a million times and still be entertained. (laughs) So good. You move that shit around a lot. (sighs) Like, okay, I know that the fifth spot in my top five typically alternates between what the most newest Avengers movie is (laughs) or the newest Marvel movie, but... Yours has changed a lot in the past, like, couple of years. That means that we're watching good cinema. I'm glad. Yeah. My last note is I want Anya in an Ari Aster movie. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That seems like the natural progression of things, right? Yeah, and I just want to see her in more. She's on. She's in a new uh, Netflix movie that I want to Queen's watch. Queen's Gambit. Yeah, yeah. That seems really interesting. I mean, it's about chess, but this movie is just two girls talking the whole time. Yeah. So I'm sure I... <laughs> We'll be riveted by her regardless. I want to see New Mutants. She's apparently so fucking cool in New Mutants. That comes out in December. I'm going to have to get back uh, Disney+. Plus. I canceled my Disney Plus subscription. There was not enough good content. Although, you know what I freaking saw? Okay, I'm not going to spoil anything about Mandalorian, but um, I'll bleep it out. Because did you know that is in The Mandalorian? Uh, Okay, so I feel like... I'd be more excited if I knew who that was. You've got to be kidding me. <laughs> I, I recognize the name, but I don't like. Okay, the other day when we were watching The Office and you were like, oh my God, hey, he's on He's on this show. The guy, what was I'm that? I have to bleep so many of these words out to not spoil it. Is he the guy that was in, okay, what's the she's, movie where she's, yes, her show. Yes. Okay, okay. He's sexy. Ooh, that, ooh, okay. All right. That might get me back into watching. I haven't finished the first season. I haven't either. It? I got boring to me. Yeah. I couldn't stick but, with um, it. But yeah, I was like, is this their baby Yoda? Are they <laughs> are they just gonna just like pull out? Because I didn't know anything about it, but if you if you're pulling out <laughs> I swear this is gonna be bleep fest, but uh I will definitely watch for sure at some point. But you know, okay. Okay, back to Disney Plus. I'm excited about new. I think New Mutants comes to Disney. Maybe, maybe I'm thinking that wrong. Maybe it doesn't come to Disney Plus. Yeah, I was maybe about to ask. Like, is that that's not a Disney property, is it? Well, Fox, I guess. Never mind. Yeah, it is a Disney property, but I don't know why I think it's going to Disney Plus in December. And maybe, maybe that's something else, or I don't know. Maybe I'm high. I'm not sure. <laughs> I know Soul is coming out, and it's free this time they're not charging like mulan so i wonder how they're going to treat new mutants 
I don't know why they're doing that to Soul. Like, I'm not sure why they wouldn't just do that premium on demand thing again, other than the fact that I feel like maybe they think that Mulan didn't do as well because, you know, it was $30, but like at least make us pay like 10 or 20. I don't know. Here's the thing. Mulan sucked. That was not a good <laughs> test movie. Yeah. I, yeah. After hearing the reviews for it, I was like, I'm, I'm not even going to bother. But I am very excited about Soul. I'm very glad that they're not charging for that because I definitely want to watch that one. I just don't know why. You know, like my mind just keeps going back to the Joker in The Dark Knight saying, if you're good at something, never do it for free. (laughs) Well, why the hell? I don't know. I guess trying to attract people to Disney Plus. I don't know. It's because it's not technically free. I don't. We are so far off. (laughs) Um, That's nothing new. Things I want to talk about, though, in in take three, I'm just holding myself accountable. I'll cut them out if if, uh, if we don't get to them. <laughs> just beep them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's great. Uh, the ambivalent uh, joke, or I don't know if it's a good joke, but basically she says that, you know, somebody told her that if ambivalent is ever used in a question, that that's the right answer the or answer, used yeah. as an answer. Y'all know what I mean. Y'all just watch the fucking movie. I want to look that up and see if that's right. And then I also... Uh, the two movies that they like make these wild assumptions about, I think it'd be interesting to like find out what those two movies are and see if there's like, if everyone's dead or, you know what I mean? Like that, the oh, assumption yeah. that they make about these movies. There is the black and white one and then the Shirley Temple one. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. I don't know which, I don't know what those movies were called offhand. One of them looked familiar, but I can't even remember which one it was now, but I probably couldn't tell you. I probably should be able to tell you. Yeah. <laughs> I am realizing that I bought this on iTunes, which means there's probably some behind the scenes stuff and like extras. Ooh, look so, at you. I'm fancy. Fancy. <laughs> I bought this on Amazon for $3.99 and it'll disappear in two days. Oh my God. Okay. Two things. <laughs> One, did you know this movie is $15 on Amazon? What the fuck? It's to like buy? 93 minutes long. Yeah. Hmm. I could buy like a whole season of Drag Race for $15. <laughs> Two, when I was watching Scream when you came over Friday night, mm-hmm. I had I rented it. And by the time I went to watch it again on Sunday and I for, remember I had it, it was gone. And I was like, I told you, I feel like you watched that movie enough where you should just buy it. I, I will buy it, but I just didn't want to spend the $10 just then. I will give you the $10. No, I, well, unless you, I mean, if you want to buy it for me, that's fine. If, okay. if our listeners want to send me money, that's fine. Chris- no, I'm just joking. <laughs> Christmas is tomorrow, uh, so I'll I'll get on buying that for that's you. That's probably, by the, by the time we actually, like, are able to edit this episode, <laughs> that'd be funny if this shit was really December 24th. Y'all. Like, hey, sorry, guys, we're ending the season. Halloween was great. Halloween was a blast, but I went to the grocery store today and got myself some lights. I am ready for jolly season. I am. Are you going to decorate your, your balcony? Hell yeah. I don't know how, we though. You don't have I, a plug. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how... My neighbors are like everyone has their lights up on their balcony, but I'm not going to leave my door open. I don't know how that works, but I'll figure it out. Maybe there's like a solar panel thing that I can buy. I don't I don't know how it works, but I'll figure it out. Take three. So we just talked about this right before we started recording. But obviously the election is still happening. Uh, Things are still being counted. I do think it's funny that in take one, we were like, yeah, we'll be on the other side of it by Friday, by the time this is posted. And I'm not certain that that's going to be the case. Like it might take 
until Friday to see, you know, the results of this election, maybe even longer. But yeah, I think odds are we'll probably get some results and then they'll be questioned and then they'll have to be verified. And then right. I'm not going to trust it till this motherfucker gets inaugurated. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, agreed. But in between. So I've been trying my best to like stay off social media, uh, not to look at you know, very depressing posts of people losing hope. Uh, and I'm been trying to keep myself busy Been playing a lot of video games. But one thing I did pick up that I've been watching in between, like I'll switch between this and watching the news is, uh, the queen's gambit. I started watching that and I realized it was not a movie. It's a limited series. It's like, it's a show. It's a TV show. Yeah. But then, <laughs> okay. <laughs> you tell the story. Cause yeah. It is outrageously slow, very, very boring, (laughs) but I can't stop watching. I really, I cannot stop watching. And I don't know why. I don't know why I keep watching. They've, maybe they've just made me fall in love with this main character. I want to see where she goes, but like, there's nothing that I can tell people (laughs) to convince them to watch this show. I truly don't think that you would like it. I think I just really enjoy watching Anya Taylor-Joy. I think I think that's all it is. Oh, okay. So I was switching in between episodes of The Connors and oh, nice. this, so I'd be like watching it and they would say something like, we're going to be waiting on this for a little while and I'd be like, okay, nothing's happening. Give me an episode or two. Mm-hmm. And I'd be switching back and forth. I went to bed at 7 o'clock this morning and woke up at 10.30. Jeez to just try to keep watching all of, all of this stuff. I'm so afraid that I'll miss something that'll make me feel better. I don't know if I've said that already, but like, it's true. I think I'm sort of the opposite where I don't want to invest hope in anything. So I'm just like, give me, give me the solid, give me the results. I don't need to know any of the in-between. I just want to get to the end of this. I really do. No matter where it goes, I just I don't want it to be over. For some reason, my mindset is that like, if I were to step away from this and come back and it was like lost, I would be like, how the hell did that happen? And almost like I could have stopped it by paying more attention to it or something. <laughs> it's weird. I know other people have to have the same sort of feeling as me where it's like you you don't want to look away because you don't want to miss something that might make you feel a little bit better, make, might make you breathe a little bit easier, you know? I think on the opposite spectrum, though, I kind of don't want to watch in case something's really going to upset me. But it's neither here nor there. We're not here to talk about the election. Knowledge is power, Jordan. <laughs> yeah, I want to talk about this movie. I oh, yeah. Sorry. Here's like a 45-minute conversation about <laughs> something else in take three. <laughs> All right. So this movie had a $6 million budget. I'm talking about the budget. And while it got sold for $5 million, it only grossed $3 million worldwide. So Corey Finley showed this at Sundance and sold it to whom? Yeah, so uh, I got sold to Focus Features for $5 bucks, but <laughs> nobody made their money back. So, oh, Do you know it's Rotten Tomatoes score? Yes, I do know it's Rotten Tomatoes score. It got an 86% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's funny how we comment on how weird movies are. But a lot of times they're weird enough to be appealing to uh, a great <laughs> deal of of critics, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't typically invest much stake in audience reviews because I know for at least maybe not now specifically, but in the past, I've heard stories of people sort of like stuffing the ballot box, if that makes sense. 
too soon. Not to, too soon. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> um, I, the second I said that, I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> but I, I just don't put much stake in that. But like a critic review, you know, that's something that I can go in and actually look at. So enough people gave it, you know, at, at least a positive review. It doesn't have to be perfect, but 86% of people, that's better than a lot of movies that we've done. So, and this is like a really interesting movie, something that I read that I really thought was cool was the fact that this used to, this was originally meant to be a stage play, Yeah, which I mean, I'd love to see because Mm -hmm. I mean like this movie has almost zero action in it (laughs) and takes place mostly in one location. So I think it'd be pretty easy to transition to, too, you know? Yeah. So Corey Finley was actually, he was a playwright. That's, you know, that was his concentration in college, I guess. And he was sort of used to writing plays and this, yeah, this was originally meant to be a play. And he mentioned that it was just going to be like one setting. It was going to be the couch and the two of them on the couch. And that was it. Like that was, that was all it was going to be. And he said, I read, I listened to a podcast that he was being interviewed on and he said that the script is out there somewhere and I managed to track it down and I will absolutely put it in the description. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Like I don't know. I could see like a um, a pretty forward thinking like high school or community theater program being like, oh, yeah, let's put this shit on. <laughs> I'd if I knew that it was based off of this movie, like since I know the source material, I I would go see it. Absolutely. If it was advertised to me, I'm not sure. But like this that would be super, super cool to watch to see like the two, like how how different they are, I guess. Totally. You remember that play we went and saw for your birthday? Like that was like completely set around a dinner table. I can't remember what yeah. it was called, but. Okay, I I can't either. (laughs) That was like really interesting. And it was like one location. Mm -hmm. Like if you can hold someone's attention just with conversation, which they totally do in this movie, I think that's pretty awesome. Agreed. So I want to talk about the conclusion of this film and how it shows character development and how much stronger some of these end scenes are than I originally realized Three quarters through the movie, we know that Tim, uh, we know that he's unsuccessful in his attempts to to kill Mark. Uh, he takes his chances by taking back his gun and he runs away from the girls. In the kitchen, Lily is smoking. She's like super stressed out about this. And Amanda is having this heart to heart with her. Uh, and she's pretty much just like, I'm not so sure that we're doing this for the right reasons anymore i'm not sure that you're in the right mindset if we are still going to do this it has to be because it's the right thing to do and not because you're throwing a temper tantrum and this is where amanda also reveals that she knows about lily's expulsion and the lies about the internship program and amanda's really realizing that lily's intentions with this murder probably aren't of sound mind anymore cut to mark coming home Lily has a knife in her hand and Amanda asks her like, what is this? What's what's happening? And then we see Amanda hiding from Mark with the knife and she's overhearing the conversation between Lily and Mark. And after she makes the comment, he's really not off base. Empathy is not your strong suit. So this whole time we're seeing Mark being this really aggressive character and it's almost as if Lily is testing him. Lily knows that Amanda's in the room. She's trying to push Mark to be like, like say something, hit me, hit me with the, the, he he makes he brings up the the belt story and she's yeah. like do it is that what you're going to do to me kind of thing sort of like i dare you to do something like show me your true monster he doesn't and he kind of tells the truth about her um, lily is a huge liar yeah she's pretty spoiled 
Um, and Amanda is right when she says, you know, empathy is not your strong suit. I think that's the scene where you realize that like, yeah, Mark is bad, but he certainly has been framed to be the devil by Lily. Yeah. Lily's sort of like been the the eyes through which we've seen him, but suddenly we're seeing him react to her wrongdoing and it's like, right. oh, okay, maybe he's not as terrible. It's just because Lily hates it. That's the the lens that we've been viewing him through this entire film. Yeah, yeah. And that is sort of Amanda's point. It's like, okay, well, I kind of see him and he's making these great points. What, like, what is your motivation anymore? Is this like, we know, yes, he's a dick, but I need to know that this isn't just because, you know, you're throwing a tantrum and you're not getting your way for once. Uh, I mean, like we do see him being abusive to the mom. I forget yeah. her name, uh, which like, he's, he's not a nice man, but I do think that there is some question about who is the actual villain in this movie. Cause I think for the longest time it was, it was Mark and maybe for some people it still is Mark, but I, I see Lily and I see her intentions and I see her actions in this movie. And I'm, I'm like truly wonder if, if she's the real villain in this movie. When someone's the main character of the movie or of, of a story, uh, we're instinctually driven to sort of side with them right. because we see everyone through them typically. And in this movie uh, we get a lot of like of the two girls you know, one's Lily's at least not apparently a sociopath at the beginning. We're like, okay, she's mm-hmm. going to be the normal girl and she's struggling with the father. And so certainly at first you're like, okay, Mark's our antagonist. I think by the end of it, the person that's done the most harm, which I don't know if that's what you would consider an antagonist. I, I, I mean, there are, you know, specific definitions for that, but I guess this is kind of subjective. This is a subjective conversation. Uh, but by the end of this, the person that's done the most harm is very clearly Lily. Absolutely. Uh, because she's not only taken someone's life away, she's ruined another person's life. I don't think she's uh, really shown any sort of remorse, mm-hmm. you know, towards the end of the movie. Like, there's not any sort of um, glimpse even no. that uh, she feels bad about what she did. Correct. Correct. To further this discussion, I think it's very clear that both of these characters swap. I think we mentioned this in take two. Yeah. There's like the, the, the tables turn. But specifically with this scene, uh, when Lily, when Amanda's talking to Lily and saying, you know, he's not off. He's really not that off base. It's a turning point for Amanda because she's really realizing that that Lily's intentions are no longer for good. They're sort of much more selfish. The next time that we see them together, it's really not clear whether or not they still want to continue with the plan. It's sort of like up in the air. It's not really discussed. And it's sort of like this problem has dissolved. But, you know, obviously it hasn't for Lily. But in between this scene and the last scene of them on the couch, there's just Lily staring at him at Mark in uh, when he's playing tennis. But when we see them again on the couch... Amanda's trying to talk about, you know, the movie that they're watching and she's trying to bring up conversation that has nothing to do with Mark. And Lily's like, all right, you're bumming me out. Please stop talking. Yeah. I think considering all of this, it makes Amanda's choice to down the drink so much more impactful because even though she knows that killing him is no longer an act of good, she still allows it to happen. She still supports it. And like, and I think it kind of goes into that conversation about maybe this is a love story. Maybe. Yeah. You know, I was just about she, to say like, because she's in love with her. <laughs> yeah. If, if 
if she truly has no feelings, it, then she she doesn't really feel consequences. But you know, this whole movie we've been shown that she only does stuff because it's the right thing to do. But then there's this instance she has nothing to gain. She has everything to lose from letting this happen, and she does it anyway. And I I also just to finish up this point, I don't think it's a coincidence that Lily switches to Amanda's side of the couch after we find out that she lied about her school and her internship. Like from the beginning, she's on one, like Amanda's on one side of the couch. And then after we start to see how Lily's behaving and how she's been reacting this whole time, they switch sides on the couch. Oh, that's really, Um, really clever. You're right. Yeah. If you take this from an analytical perspective, a lot of these scenes pack such a bigger punch than they may seem up front. I truly do think that this movie could, could stand as a play like on Broadway or something. I mean, but again, I, I don't know. I just want to see people's renditions of it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's a good point. Like the, you know, finding different actresses and stuff. Exactly. So I definitely think there's themes of judgment in this film. Like we typically will judge people. I don't want to say like, don't judge a book by its cover, but it's kind of (laughs) like that. Like, you know, how someone not necessarily like visually presents themselves, but what the impression you get, the first impression you get of these characters And it certainly changes, but it's funny because Amanda, who you think is this like emotionally stunted person, is really the only person that is really able to see through the guise of it all. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely a comment about the facades that we put up and how so much of the communication that you have with those around you is, to be blunt, it could be bullshit. Like, how often do you engage with people? And while you're engaging with people, you're like, I would want to say this, but I'm not going to. I'm going to say this because it's more socially acceptable. It's nicer. It's kinder. But maybe it's not honest. I fucking hate you. Yeah. (laughs) I think you're the biggest loser. Well, me too, actually. I'm just just I agree. I know know that. (laughs) No, I get it. It's sort of that like, oh, you know, how are you doing? And you're, it's, it's always like, oh, I'm fine. Like, things are good. And I, I get that. I get that completely. Yeah. And I mean, with Tim, too, they judge him as somebody that they think they're going to be able to manipulate to follow their plan. And it goes awry. So, like, right. a lot of this movie, I think, is really commenting on what's underneath the surface, like how people really are versus the faces that they may put on. I think it's a good point to bring up Tim because I kind of want to bring this discussion around to the title of the film. I think it's obvious that, you know, it's, it's there because there's this horse theme, but I think it also very much reflects the life of Amanda and of Lily. It's sort of this perfect, very high class, very rich uh, families. Yeah. And I think the inclusion of Tim is very important because it gives us a glimpse of like just how high and quote unquote mighty they are in comparison and how, that like you said, that is a facade. It's sort of a mask that, you know, things aren't perfect up here. The grass is always greener, that kind of thing. And Tim is always, you know, he's (laughs) maybe he's not doing the best job, but he's always spouting about, you know, I'm going to be a millionaire one day. I'm going to be an entrepreneur and that kind of thing. And Corey Finley did such a great job. Like, okay. So it's, it's not difficult to understand Amanda from a literal perspective. I think it's very easy to understand that she has no feelings at all. She has zero personality. She doesn't feel consequences from doing something bad or good. Like she just, she just kind of is, but I think she is also incredibly complex. And I think what's brilliant here is how Corey Finley was able to show character development in a character that has no character. Does that, does that make sense? It's sort of like, like how can someone like that grow? But I clearly 
she can because we saw in the movie. Like Amanda undoubtedly has a transformation in this film. She even comments on it where she says, you know, she just has to work a little harder than other mm-hmm. people to be good. Yep. And so you, while she doesn't necessarily have guilt or joy, I think she does know that there is right and there is wrong. She's just not clouded by a lot of the, the societal facades that everyone else is clouded by. And I think right. those specific ideals are what drive Lily in the film, which is why by the end of it, you know, it drives her to completely <laughs> throw her friend under the bus, like, un, like not even a metaphorical bus, just essentially, you know, <laughs> ruin this girl's life. There is that discussion about Amanda's life being meaningless. And yeah. that's a terrible thing to even talk about. But, and it's, I think it's terrible that Lily allowed Amanda to agree with that so far that she, you know, took the blame for a fucking murder. Exactly. Um, and it's, it's so interesting, her reaction to it. Like I keep going back to that story and like, I think regardless of who the antagonist is, I think the one whose eyes we really should be looking at this movie through is Amanda. She has the perspective that I think delivers the message at the end of the film. She's the only one who can see through Lily's bullshit. Yeah. Lily seems like this perfect angel at the very beginning, but then Amanda does this slew thing and she's like, uh, you paid for this. Like how, how much did my mom exactly. pay you to hang out with me? And she's like, no, no, this isn't paid. And you know, it's yeah, it truly is Amanda's movie. <laughs> she, she is the one who slowly revealed the villain in Lily. Yeah. So I talked about this in take two. I was interested in seeing what the movies were that they were watching. And so because both of these movies are in the public domain, they're not listed in the credits. So I was like, okay, one I know is a Shirley Temple movie, and that's the one that I recognized. Mm-hmm. That movie is uh, called The Little Princess, and Amanda makes the comment that everyone in the cast is dead or that they are old and dependent on the family. But she was right the first time I checked. Everyone in the cast is dead. So, <laughs> And then the movie towards the beginning when Amanda taught Lily to fake cry – the black and white one. Yeah, it's called yeah. DOA. It's about a man who essentially goes into like a police precinct and reports his own murder because and you go back and uh, as as the story progresses, he's like telling it and you realize that he's been poisoned. I think it's interesting that like sort of later on in the movie, like not necessarily poison, but she roofies Amanda. Oh, <laughs> there's sort of like a, a parallel there. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was very strange that these movies were not credited. <laughs> they were really hard to find. That took me a while to uh, to look up. I had to listen to them say their names and was like typing in their names, like black and white movie with Frank and, you know, I don't even remember the girl's name, but <laughs> I finally was able to find it. But that took a while. Well, I'm glad you did. Thank you for doing that. <laughs> I also looked literally everywhere for proof of the ambivalent comment where ambivalent is always the right answer. And I could not find anyone that said anything about that. You know, wouldn't argue that it was true. but I, Whether or not it's true, it's still a funny line. I, oh, I definitely. I still think that's like, <laughs> that's really funny. And then I mentioned the music in the second take, but I didn't bring up the actual guy's names. I just wanted to mention it here. It's Eric Friedlander, and he's the American cellist who yeah. upsettingly hasn't really worked on anything else mainstream. So I want him to do more work, honestly. Same. I think he was really, really talented. Yeah, to piggyback off of that, um, I wanted to go in depth a little bit about the throat singing, the throat chanting that I was talking about. I tried looking for articles about how it was constructed or maybe why it was chosen, but any interview that I found with the composer 
he either didn't bring it up or the interview was poorly conducted. There was one article that I read. One of the questions was, did any soundtracks inspire you while coming up with this score? And his answer was, yeah, like I said before, I'm a huge soundtrack junkie. And that was it. Like, that was the end. He didn't go into, like, any of the specifics. It was a terrible, terrible interview. Uh, I did, however, I looked into what that actual, like, throat chanting and singing was. And I found the TikTok account. Uh, it's sh- it's at Shinanova, S-H-I-N-A-N-O-V-A, on TikTok. It's a type of Inuit throat chanting. And it's done typically between two women, two Inuit women. It's very typically they're, they're like facing each other. They're very often holding arms and it's a very, um, synced, very personal, very close form of like chanting and singing. And I I think the only parallel that I could draw from that was that it was just literally two women working together. Uh, I don't really know specifically why it was chosen for a film, but I'm still glad I looked into it. I still think it's very, very interesting. Like this isn't the typical music that you would think would play in a movie like this, but no, <laughs> it's maybe a comment on the fact that like everything's about to break loose and yeah, yeah. Uh, things are are a lot more, um, I don't know, a lot more crazy underneath the surface because it almost feels like jungle music. And I don't want to call it like animalistic, but there is something so like natural like and guttural nature. Yeah. yeah, about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it's and he's using, you know. I don't know if you would call a cello a classical instrument, but like you, you would think the house that they live in is this like beautiful classic. Uh, there should be like orchestra in the background. And he uses something from that orchestra to give us these really sharp, really quick, like sound effects more than a score. Again. It, yeah. It, it sounds like bongo drums and door yeah. slamming and creaking <laughs> open and shit. So, right. Right. Start to even imagine why they thought this would work. You know what I mean? It did, though. It, it totally did. did. Yeah. But yeah. Like, why would you just go in with that kind of – like the idea of this score working with these visuals is just really, really powerful. And that's mm-hmm. why I don't want to undersell the fact that like while I would love to see this as a play, like I've probably said 15 times, <laughs> this is like a really well-done, well-crafted film. Agreed. Yeah. Corey Finley, first-time director, but like damn if he didn't know – what he was doing. Yeah. <laughs> I read an article, both of the main ladies talked about how focused and how you would not think he was a first time director. He just knew exactly what he wanted and he didn't let anybody sort of like get in the way of his vision. Mm-hmm. So that to me is the type of filmmaker who I want to see lots more of. Agreed. So I have some just fun facts and final thoughts. The production designer in some of the behind the scenes things that I watched said that he called the house its own character. It was something that had to be constructed to represent Lily's isolation. It was this place that sort of always seemed empty and always echoed. And it was just this big house that really wasn't filled with a lot, uh, which I thought was, you know, translated very, very well. Uh, Did you know that Corey Finley was 27 when he made this movie? I did. That's crazy. (laughs) Insane. Absolutely insane. Yeah. When I'm 27, I hope to be as talented as he is. Yeah, you're going to be. Yeah, (laughs) I don't. Anyway, some background into Anya Taylor-Joy. She was born in America, but she grew up in Argentina and London and some other parts of Europe. 
she speaks fluent Spanish. Uh, I saw some interviews where she just talked in Spanish the whole time. And a lot of the interviews that I saw, she had like kind of like a half accent. It's It almost came off a little bit pretentious where she's trying to put on this like fancy European accent. But I, I've come to realize that it's because she probably grew up with, with that kind of accent. So, oh, yeah. I mean, I think she typically has an accent like in real life, right? So it's funny. I noticed that when she was in interviews with Olivia Cook, it was much, much stronger because Olivia Cook is British, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, she's from England. Yeah. So the interviews that she was with Olivia Cook, it was much, much stronger, her accent. But the ones that she did where it was just her and Corey Finley, it, it was like just sort of there. <laughs> so uh, I saw a comment from Reddit user Billy the Fridge. That said, as far as storytelling goes, there's no amount of blood or violence that would better tell that scene than hearing the rowing stop. I want to bring this up because the rowing machine was such a huge element in the movie that it it was it was done in such a way that you almost didn't need to see Mark's abuse (laughs) to know that he was a bad person purely from like the sound effects of the rowing machine and when he chose to start exercising just that sound effect of that thing going back and forth upstairs, like like Lily said, is enough to drive someone absolutely batshit insane. Um, there's sort of this pompous arrogance that that just comes with that sound effect that was just brilliantly constructed. Yeah. Uh, I also loved seeing Amanda thrive in the hospital that she was in at the end. Uh, I like that. Like this was not the worst thing that could have happened to her. I think like she's painting, she's thriving with her knitting as if she doesn't have a care in the world, which obviously I guess she doesn't, but it's nice to see her in contrast, I guess, with the other people that are in the hospital. Like they made a point to show the other patients and how they knitted and how they painted. And then there's Amanda and she's just kind of doing her thing. And Hey, maybe they're, maybe they're the thoroughbreds who sort of broken away from society and are able to sort of run free and exist because they're, they've sort of given into whatever impulse they had that made them wind up in a psychiatric hospital. That's a very good point. This is me just grasping at straws. Okay. So we've cut this considerably, but here is what I'm thinking this dream is about. Okay. This is just me. Like, this is where I'm going to go. Thoroughbreds are horses that are like bred to be, you know, really special horses, right? And her dream talks about how, you know, everybody sort of dies out and these horses just sort of run free. Mm -hmm. So maybe the idea is that these girls who are in these families where so much is expected of them and they're, you know, in these upper class families. um, Bred for success. Yeah, they're the thoroughbreds. And what the end of this movie sort of is, is them being able to break free of that. And they're the horses roaming around because they've broken free of the uh, societal pressure and the tyranny of evil men. (laughs) I concur with your analysis. Really? Okay. I (laughs) I just pulled that out of my ass, but like, I think that's probably actually what it is. I mean, yeah. Um, I mean, there is that part where, she talks about how she tries to speak, but nothing comes out. Or when she opens her mouth. She neighs. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Oh, I there love that horses. part when they're checking her mouth and she's neighing. This is going to be an interesting episode, guys. I, well, you've already heard it, but like. I totally agree. Yeah. Okay. So wrapping this up, I think we would be, I don't know. I, I This is a somber note and this is really kind of devastating, but um, I think we really should talk about it. The character of Tim is played by an actor named Anton Yelchin. 
he was a very talented actor who had been in, you know, a, a lot of really awesome movies. And he died in one of the most scary and horrific ways two oh, weeks yeah. after filming this movie. Two weeks after this film had concluded, he didn't even get to see it. He passed away. He got like Final Destination, didn't he? It was like a freak yeah. accident, wasn't it? Yeah. That was poor taste. I'm sorry. But no, like, I know. Legit, I mean, like, like was... honestly, though, yeah. But uh, he was 27, too. So, like. Oh, my God. That's. It was just absolutely crazy. So this movie is dedicated to him. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, he's a really, really talented actor. He was in um, the Star Trek movies, which, oh, my God, I love him in the Star Trek movies. He was in Fright Night. He was in Green Room, which I don't even like Green Room, but he's amazing in it. I saw Green Room. Yeah, I wasn't I a huge really fan, but him. he's really good. Yeah, he was very talented actor, was definitely going to um, have a wonderful career. He definitely did a great job in this movie and will be remembered very fondly. Always end on a strong note. <laughs> I mean, okay, we got to think of something positive to do the to do the outro music on. Say something funny real quick. I, you can't do that to me. I, I'm gonna. You're the one with a quick wit. I, I can't. You're putting me on the spot. All right, hold on. I'll look up a horse joke. Don't look up a horse joke. Yep. A talking horse walks into a bar and approaches the manager. He says, excuse me, good sir. Are you hiring? The manager looks the horse up and down and says, sorry, pal. Why don't you try the circus? The horse laughs. Why would the circus need a bartender? <laughs> Get it? Because the horse is a bartender. He's trained in bartending. To be a bartender. Yeah. He says, why would he join the circus? All right, we're going to try that again. Did you hear about the man who was hospitalized with six plastic horses inside him? No. You didn't? No. Uh, well, um, okay, but it doesn't, it's, that's fine. Um, the doctor described his condition as stable. Shut up. Oh, my God. All right, one more time. One more, okay? No. Okay, what, uh, this, is a, this is like a, I'm going to ask you a question. And you are going to answer it, but you're going to get it wrong. And I'm going to tell you the right answer. Okay. Okay. That's how this joke is going to go. Okay. What did the horse say when it fell? Nay. No. I don't know. I've fallen and I can't get up. <laughs> okay. My outro is just going to be me telling you guys more horse jokes. So, okay. A pony goes to the doctor and tells the doctor, doc, I think I'm dying. I have this terrible sore throat. The doctor assures him, it's okay, you're just a little horse. That was good, that was good. Okay, a horse sits in a movie theater and the woman next to him asks, excuse me, are you a horse? He says, why yes I am. What are you doing at this movie, she asks. The horse replies, I really liked the book. A cowboy buys a horse from the town pasture. Pastor explains, to make the horse go, you gotta yell, thank God. And to make it stop, yell, hallelujah. The cowboy rides off. He rides all day and starts to nod off in the saddle when he notices he is about to ride straight over a cliff. Searching his memory, he yells to the horse, Hallelujah! Hallelujah! The horse grinds to a stop just at the edge of the cliff. The cowboy wipes the sweat off his forehead. Phew! The cowboy sighs. Thank God. Because uh, he, yeah. Okay. You get it. Okay, and this is my favorite. <laughs> a horse walks into a bar. The bartender says, hey. The horse says, buddy, you read my mind. 
Oh, okay. Yeah. Go to take3amp.com for more episodes or follow us on social media. Take3amp. It's the number three. Leave us reviews on iTunes. And I don't know. Is it called iTunes anymore? Apple Podcasts? I don't know. I, I can't keep up. We'll see you next week.